Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We hope that today's message helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that the Lord has created you to do. Come on, if you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 8. Go to Luke chapter 8. If you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read out of the New International Version of the Bible, okay, the New International Version of the Bible. Um, and actually, I'm going to attempt to do something uh, pretty difficult. Uh, in 2020, we started 2020. I quit my job in December 2019. So we started January 2020. And, you know, this is going to be the best year of our life. I'm self-employed. And three months into the year, self-employment went to unemployment. <laughs> no, you don't remember this thing called COVID. It happened. You know, January, I was, I, we launched out for Manny and Rango Ministries. We launched Manny and Rango Ministries in January. We got a lot of speaking engagements and churches were generous and I paid my mortgage. And then February, you know, we got lots of speaking engagements, lots of conferences and churches on Sunday and churches were generous and we paid my mortgage. And then halfway through March, Tom Hanks got COVID and everybody but people in Texas and Florida went home. <laughs> and just stayed there for an undefinite amount of time. I was living in North Carolina at the time, which is why I moved to Texas. <laughs> I was like, I ain't doing this no more. I'm just, I'm just going to the land of the free and the home of the brave, you know? So, <laughs> no place like Texas, let's go. Uh, so uh, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, we got 35 cancellations in one weekend. Uh, I had no health insurance. We emptied our savings account. I didn't know how I was going to pay my mortgage. I don't know if anybody else, like, I was Googling the difference between deferment and, and uh, what's the other one? Forbearance. Don't act like you Am I the only one? I'm like, what are the differences between these two things? Because I need to pay this mortgage. And uh, in the middle of the pandemic, God gave me, you know, I love, you know, when I get to say hard things to people, but God's a gangster and he says hard things to me. And I remember God in the middle of a pandemic, I was complaining. I was actually depressed. Um, I was just felt hopeless because I couldn't, as you know, come on, all the dudes in the room, you know, as a man, I just felt like I'd failed my family. I couldn't provide for my family. I, I'm the one who was like, I'm full of faith. I'm quitting my job, you know? And then three months later, I am just feeling embarrassed and feeling ashamed, felt like I made the wrong decision. And the Holy Spirit said these things. He said, number one, you didn't make the wrong decision. Number two, what do you have in your hand? It's a powerful question for God to ask. He asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? He's like, this, this stick, this, just this? He's like, you can be shocked what I can do with a stick. You know, you know, Elijah says to the woman, what do you have in your house? He's like, I got some jars. <laughs> He's like, well, we can work with some jars. You know, Jesus is like, the disciples said, yeah, hey, there's 5,000 people here, not including women and children. We, we got to send these people out of here. They, they need to eat. She's like, well, what, what, what are you going to do to fix it? And they're like, well, there's a boy with some lunch. <laughs> what can you do with that? It's like, give me the two fish and the five loaves. We'll see what we can do. And I remember the Holy Spirit said, what do you have? And I said, well, I got this master's degree in theology, and I got a garage, and I got one camera, and I got some kids from my youth group that they'll do anything I tell them to do. <laughs> He said, then I want you to start a streaming platform because the world's got Hulu and Netflix and HBO Max and YouTube Premium and TikTok and Instagram and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And we need a theologically conservative Pentecostal platform to teach people the Bible. And so in the middle of a pandemic, I started a streaming service and uh, that was sounded crazy. That started with nothing, literally. Teenagers at my house, in my garage, with one camera. And today, 
that platform is over 3,500 subscribers who all pay us 13 bucks a month. We have six people on staff. I run payroll every month, golly. Um, and so there's a course on our platform called Biblical Faith. It's a three hour course and I'm gonna attempt to take that three hour course and shrink it down for the next 30 minutes and give it to you, okay? Can we do that? Is that an experiment that we're all down for today? I'm gonna try to give you three hours of information in the next 30 minutes. So I don't pastor people, but you know, I do create some courses and I'm in a doctoral program right now. You know, so, you know, doing something, yeah, anyway. Uh, I feel like now we're gonna have a back and forth like for the next however many years, you know, so that's great. Uh, so come on, let's go to Luke, uh, let's go to Luke. And if there's a word that I don't say while I'm reading the passage, then it's your turn to say the word that I don't say. Uh, let's go, uh, Luke chapter eight, we're actually gonna start reading in verse 22. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 22. Uh, and again, we're going to do fill in the blank style because we black, okay? I saw somebody standing for the reading of the word. Is that normal here? Is that, well, let's do it today. Come on. You started. Come on, leader. Let's go. What's your name, sweetheart? Michaela. You're a leader. Everybody in the room standing up because you stood up, sweetheart. Let's go. I thought people would clap for Michaela, but anyway, okay. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, let's go, verse 22, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Uh, one day Jesus, to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great Okay, we're going to pause right here. I got to just share my frustration, okay? All the Pharisees, you are dismissed. Come on, this is Planet Fitness, baby. No judgment zone. <laughs> is there anybody else who shares my frustration that it seems like Jesus does not know how to time his naps better? <laughs> Why you got to fall asleep in the middle of my drama? Why you got to fall asleep in the middle of my storm? Why can't you fall asleep when life is going smooth, when there's no trouble, no rain clouds, no waves, no winds, no tornadoes? Jesus, that's the time to nap. Let's just go ahead and reverse this. When life's good, you sleep. Life bad, I need you awake, alert, I need you paying attention. I wonder if there's anybody in the room who shares this frustration that when life is good, it feels like you crack open your Bible, you can hear the Holy Spirit, it's like your devotions are on fire, you come to church, and not only is God speaking, but he's confirming stuff that he said to you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but let some drama pop off. Let you start walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and all of a sudden, it's not the storm that's the problem, it's the fact that you feel like God's absent from your storm. God, I'm not frustrated that I'm just having to go through life. Come on, sickness and bankruptcy and recession, that stuff's just a part of life. But God, I thought that you would never leave me or forsake me. I wonder if there's anybody with this frustration today. God, I'm not complaining about the storm. I'm complaining that I can't feel your presence in the middle of the storm. I'm complaining not because there's a storm. That's just life. I'm complaining because a storm hit and you had the nerve to fall asleep. <laughs> Come on, I, I wanna know if I'm talking to some real Christians today. God, I went through some storms and I feel like I can't sense your presence anymore. Feels like you're far, feels like you're distant. You're distant. Come on, let's keep reading. Uh, they were in great danger. Let's go, verse 24. Uh, 
the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to, we're going to die. Oh, come, come on, come on, come on. Master, Master, we're going to drown. I love how they, they got this, this, this crazy statement, not we may drown, not we could drown. Not Jesus, context clues would suggest drowning is imminent. <laughs> we are going to drown. They are 100% sure that they are going to drown. But they've been in church so long that they stick master, master in front of it. <laughs> Don't act like you've never come to church. Called God master for a whole 15, 20 minutes of worship. Only to sit down, us take up the offering, and your bills become your master. Don't act like you've never started your day with some Maverick City music or some upper room on the YouTube, uh, you know, doing your worship, and, and then all of a sudden your anxiety becomes your master. You said master, master, but then you defied the very thing that you said by how you lived your life. I don't just want Jesus to be the master of my lips, I want him to be the master of my emotions. I want him to be the master of my mind. I want him to be the master of my mood. I want him to be the master. If he's the master, then that means anxiety is not the master. If he's the master, then that means whatever I'm stressed out about is not the master. If he's the master, then it doesn't matter what terrorist attack is happening. It doesn't matter what's happening in foreign land. Oh, no, no. We'll pray about it in faith, not in fear. Why? Because we know who the master is. He's the master. Master, master, we're going to drown. So what does Jesus do? He gets up and he rebukes the wind. This is interesting. He doesn't just calm the storm, but he rebukes the wind. We'll, we'll deal with that. We'll deal with that later. He rebukes the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Now, here's where you would assume the story ends. Because Jesus has done the miracle. But how many people understand that what you think is the miracle and what God has as his goal is not always the same thing. Because God is not your genie, he's your God. And there's a lot of times where the thing you think needs to get done is actually a distraction from the very lesson God wants to teach you. And so most times throughout the gospels, the miracle is accomplished, but now Jesus has a conversation. The woman with the issue of blood, she's healed, but now Jesus is like, where's she at? I need to talk to her because the real miracle is not in the bleeding stopping. The real miracle is in the transformation of her identity. The real miracle is never in what I think the miracle is. Oh, come on, we wanna come against what you think the miracle is because the thing you think is the miraculous thing you need from God can become an idol real fast. And we want to begin to say, God, like the Hebrew boys that said, we know God will rescue us from the fiery furnace. But even if he don't, Nebuchadnezzar, we still ain't going to bow down. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody with some even if faith today. God, I know you're going to pay this bill. I know you're going to get me out of this situation. I know you're going to heal my daughter. I know you're going to bring peace. I know you're gonna do it but even if you don't I'm never gonna bow down even if you don't I'm never gonna stop praising you even if you don't I'm gonna be faithful because I'm here forever
I'm not a spiritual gold digger. Oh, no, no, no. You got me forever. Come hell or high water. God, I'm with you. Jesus has calmed the storm, but he now has to deal with the disciples. Because the real miracle is not calming the storm. The real miracle is dealing with their faith. So what does Jesus have to say? Here we go. Black church is fun, ain't it? Come on, let's go. Verse 25. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. God, we've st stood for the reading of your word because we can stand for a judge. We can stand for your word. We can stand for a bride to enter the room. We can stand for your word. We've stood up as a sign of reverence for your word. So, God, I have a sermon, but you have a message. So, God, I ask that you would speak today. Speak to your people today. God, I ask that you would use me in a powerful way. We declare right now, every deaf ear be open, every blinded eye see, every hard heart be softened. We don't want anyone to leave today saying that guest speaker did a good job. No, we want everyone to leave saying the Holy Ghost spoke to me in a specific way. Take every generality from stage and make it specific. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say together, amen, amen, amen. You can high five your neighbor. Sit down. Tell them they look good even if they don't. We speak those things that be not as though they were at Uncommon Church. You keep telling your neighbor they look good. One of these days, they will. <laughs> and if they're your spouse, you definitely need to tell them they look good, even if you don't think they do. <laughs> Trying to help some husbands out. Anyway, I love the question that Jesus asked his disciples upon calming the storm. He calms the storm and then immediately breaks out into a conversation. And I've been pastored long enough to know I hate open-ended questions. I don't know if you've ever had a pastor ask you an open-ended question. You know what I'm saying? And when a pastor asks you an open-ended question, they're not asking you a question. They already know the answer to the question. They're testing you to see whether or not you know the answer to the question. And Jesus asks a very, very important question. He says, where is your faith? Now, I think that it's very easy to misinterpret this question. I think it's easy to jump to a conclusion and assume that what Jesus means by by this question is y'all don't have a lot of faith. We can easily put this passage into the category of a story or a passage of scripture where Jesus is measuring their faith or giving a commentary about the quantity of their faith. But actually, Jesus is very, very clear in other parts of scripture when he is talking about the measurement or the quantity of people's faith. I don't know if you remember the story with the centurion, and the centurion has some faith, and Jesus grades his faith. He tells him the measurement or the quantity of the faith that he has, and he says, homie, whoo, you've got great faith. Great faith. To one with the issue of blood. He says, your faith made you well. I would say, yep, that's just good old average faith. That's good faith. You know what I'm saying? And then there's, there is a point of time where he does say to the disciples, you have little faith. It's not this passage, it's another passage, and I call this my favorite backhanded compliment of the Bible. Because Jesus says, oh, you guys have such little faith. But then he says, even faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Which is Jesus' way of saying, your faith is trash, but it'll do. You know, I'm not impressed, but we'll take it, <laughs> you know. So Jesus is actually very efficient, he's clear, he's, he's, quite competent 
at communicating when he's measuring somebody's faith. This passage is not about the measurement of faith. Ooh, this passage is about the misplacement of faith. He says, where is your faith? If I said, where is your husband? Baby, I'm not asking you in faith. I'm asking you, where is your husband? Because you have a husband. If I say, where is your car? That means you have a? If I say, where is your house? That means you have a? When Jesus says, where is your faith? Actually, this is a good sign. This is good news. It means the disciples have faith. I want to come with some good news today. Before we even get into the bad news, because you already know I'm going to have some bad news. Before we get into the bad news, let me tell you the good news. The good news is you have an abundant measurement of faith. The good news is, baby, you got a whole lot of faith. The good news is you don't need more faith. You already have faith. The good news is if you thought you had a faith problem, I'm here to tell you, you you don't have a faith problem you have a whole lot of faith but the bad news is it's in your boyfriend the bad news is uh-oh okay this is for the Millennials I'm a millennial so I get to offend you there's nothing you can do about it because I'm one of you you know what I mean this is, this is why there's so many millennials leaving church, and, and they're leaving church, and they're deconstructing, and when you interview them and say, why are you leaving church? Why, why haven't you been to church in the last five years? They'll say, because the last church I was a part of, the pastor cheated on his wife. And then you go, okay, um, um, but as long as Jesus is faithful to his bride, I don't understand how what some man did determines what you now do. I thought that you were in church because you were saved by the blood of Jesus. I thought that you were in church because of the faithfulness of King Jesus. I thought that you were in church tithing and serving and volunteering because of what Jesus did. I'm sorry that your faith was in a person holding a microphone. The issue there is that you have a whole lot of faith, but it's in the anointed man of God instead of in God. Uh-oh. I'm going to step, step on some toes. Now, here we go. I'm going to preface this next one because I lean conservative. I don't lean conservative. I stand pretty conservative. <laughs> like, I'm conservative. I'm a conservative individual. I'm politically conservative. I'm sorry if that's, like, a bad thing to say on stage. Okay, cool. <laughs> Your pastor's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative individual. Now, here we go. But I don't lose my faith every four years. Because there's a candidate I want to win. There's a way that I want politics to go, but even if it doesn't go the way I think it should go, my faith ain't in the White House. My faith ain't in the government. I, I have opinions, I've got convictions, I've, I've got what I think should happen, and the things I think should happen are definitely conservative in nature, but even if somebody gets in there that I think is ill-qualified, I know who sits on the throne. So my faith is not in who sits in a seat in a house. My faith is in the one who sits on the throne. And God is still king. Whether it goes Republican or Democrat, he's king. Whether America falls or stands, he's king. Whether or not the pastor cheats on his wife or stays faithful, he's king. Whether or not your boyfriend breaks up with you or stays with you, the lover of your soul is King Jesus. And my life is not built on the sinking sand of stuff happening. My life is built on a solid rock, on stuff that's eternal, that cannot change.
As long as you've got a whole lot of faith, but your faith is in the wrong place, then all the enemy has to do is to get your boyfriend, who you love so much, to cheat on you, and now all of a sudden, your identity is shattered. Your whole world's upended. You, you, you're disoriented. Just because life lifed? So life was lifing, and you just lost your whole mind? Because life was lifing? Baby, let, let me, let me, can I help you? That was like 18 of y'all. Can I help you? Yeah. Let me tell you what idolatry is. Idolatry. Having godlike expectations of humans. Idolatry. For so many of us, the reason that you can't forgive leaders, pastors, parents is because you think they're God. Let me help you. You can forgive your mama. You know why? She's human. And the reason that you can't forgive your mother is because you have godlike expectations. She should have known. Says who? The word should means you're at war with reality. Who cares what should? What is? Is she crazy? That's what is. Now, you're going to have to make a decision whether or not you're going to forgive her and find some peace and let her go and move on. Or whether or not you're going to battle with resentment and bitterness and let unforgiveness kill you from the inside out and implode your soul. But at some point, you are going to have to make a decision regardless of whether or not she ever finds her mind or continues to lose it. I'm going to let her go. I am going to walk in forgiveness because to have a godlike expectation of a flawed, finite human being is insane and idolatrous. The reason that you've been church hurt for 12 years, and you know, Pastor, I'm just in a season of healing, you know, I can't volunteer. Give me Bible and verse for that, please. You know, I'm from this church over here, now I'm at this church now, and I love Uncommon Church, but I can't serve yet because, you know, that last pastor really, oh my gosh, they really abused me. Oh, got it. You had a godlike expectation of a human being. And when we really start to ask you, where was your faith? Your faith is in the fact that you were a spiritual daughter to some pastor? That's where your faith was? Your faith, ooh, I'm, 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 I'm preaching. <laughs> Most of y'all like, I don't know if we should invite him back. I don't know. Don't know if I like this guy. See, I've got good news. Oh, I got one take your time. There we go, let's go. A lot of us, here's the good news. You got a whole lot of faith. Oh, baby, you got so much faith. Here's the bad news. It's in your 401k. It's in your bank account. It's in your last name. It's in your fraternity or sorority connections. It's in your network. It's in your rich uncle. It's in your romantic interest. My wife, she's the love of my life. But if I'm dependent upon her to say amen when I preach and to affirm all of my gifts, I'm up a creek without a paddle. Because here's the reality. Until God actually becomes my everything, nobody can even be something in my life. Oh, every time my wife does affirm me, every time she does give me praise, if I don't get my identity rooted where it belongs, then it'll be like she's putting quarters in pockets that have holes in them. I'll never even, it'll never be enough. If you are dealing with an insecure person, 
person in there next to you, don't say amen too loud, but we all know that if you deposit into someone whose security is not built on the solid rock that is Jesus, it doesn't matter how many compliments you give, it'll never be enough. It doesn't matter how much security you offer, it'll never be enough. So Jesus has a very important question. He's like, where is your faith? Now, the disciples tell on themselves, we know exactly where their faith is. I got to teach you something that's going to hopefully shift your paradigm. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. Are we having fun at church today? Yeah. We learning something? This is cool. This... You with me, black people? By the way, let me give it an aside. It's, it's Cinderella black. It's gone at midnight tonight. So if you woke up, <laughs> you woke up black today, you black forever. But if you woke up something else today and you got black today at church, you got till midnight, baby. So if you ever wanted to dunk or dance or something, you, you got till the 11.59, so. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, okay, come on. <laughs> Jesus says, where is your faith? So now we have to ask, okay, where is the faith of the disciples? And, and the disciples, they tell them themselves because what do they say? Here we go. Master, master, we're going to drown. Master, master, we're going to. They reveal exactly where their faith is. Where's their faith? Okay, here's what I have to teach you. That faith is not an automatically positive thing. Faith is actually neutral. Faith will either work for you or against you based on where you place your faith. Here we go. We're going to check and see if everybody's a Christian. Here we go. Faith in God brings life. Faith in Buddha brings death. That's offensive to anybody? You can repent of Buddhism at the end of the service and accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Faith in Jesus brings life. Faith in Allah brings death. So that means faith is neutral. Where I put it is going to determine whether or not faith is going to bring life or bring death into my existence. Faith is like a hammer. I put a hammer in the hand of a crazy person, they may hit me and use it as a weapon. I put a hammer in the hand of a person who's a licensed contractor, they can build me something dope that I can build my life on, okay? So faith is neutral. For a lot of us, we just assume that faith is always positive because in church we only use faith in a positive way. But faith is neutral. So when Jesus says, where is your faith? The disciples actually reveal where their faith is. What do they say? Master, master, we're going to drown. I'll tell you exactly where their faith was in. The storm. Here we go. You got to use your thinker. Come on. We put you to work today. You got to intercede. Now you got to think. It's fun. It's church. We're going to drown because your words reveal where your faith is. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. We're going to drown. Now, here's the deal. The enemy has wanted worship from the beginning of time. When the enemy is, when Satan is an angel, when he's Lucifer in heaven, what gets him kicked out of heaven? The fact that he didn't want to reflect the glory of God, but he wanted to what? Receive the glory of God. When he's standing with Jesus in the wilderness, what does he say? If you would just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, which means the number one thing that the enemy wants more than anything is what? Worship. When the enemy wants you to worship him, he does not show up to your house with a pitchfork and horns. First of all, you would see it on your ring camera. You would get the alert 
and you would run to the door with some anointing oil. It'd be, battle would be over before it starts. Come on, we Pentecostal, right? Come on. <laughs> you would run to the door speaking in tongues with oil. You know what I'm saying? The enemy does not show up with a pitchfork and horns. No, 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 no. Here's what he does. He wraps himself up in the winds and the waves of life. He wraps himself up as a storm. He wraps himself up as divorce. He wraps himself up as your teenager's struggle with marijuana. He wraps himself up as your business partner threatening to leave and forcing you guys into bankruptcy. He wraps himself up as a recession, as foreclosure. He wraps himself up as a storm. Now here's where I'm gonna be nerdy because I am in the middle of a doctoral program right now. So I like to preach people happy, but I like to teach you and make you use your mind. Uh, by June 8th, 2024, I'll be Dr. Manny Arango. I started my doctorate in the middle of a pandemic and we about to do this thing, okay? I'm writing my dissertation right now. And here's what I've got to teach you about the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, the main idol that the people of Israel are drawn to worship is an idol by the name of Baal. Anybody heard of Baal? B-A-A-L. Now here's what's interesting about Baal, is he's a Canaanite storm god. He's a god of thunder and lightning and rain and storms, which means the enemy that you are fighting today is the same enemy that the people of Israel were fighting before. The, same, the, God, the God of this age that has blinded the minds of unbelievers, oh no, he's no different. He says, different schemes, same enemy. The same enemy that actually positioned himself as a storm god in the Old Testament is the same devil that wraps himself up in storms of life today. So when the disciples say, we're going to drown, here's what they're saying. They're saying, we believe that the storm has more power than the God who's in this boat with us. We believe that the problem in front of us actually has more power over our life than the God who's protecting us. We believe that the issue, that the problem, that the circumstance actually has more power over our lives than anything else. Me and my wife, we walked through five years of infertility. Every doctor that we stood across from or sat across from said we would never get pregnant. Every single doctor that we ever met with said, they looked at my medical record, they looked at my wife's medical record, they said you should just apply to adopt. They said you should look at other options. You shouldn't even get your hopes up because the two of you will never have biological children. And I remember one time I was like, hey, we're gonna do a procedure with my wife. And I said to the doctor, yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna play worship music on my phone while you do the procedure. And the doctor said, that's not gonna help anything. Do you know where my degree is from? And I said, do you know where my faith is in? My faith ain't in your degree. I don't care what school you went to. You think my faith is in Duke University? I don't care where you went to school, bro. My faith is not in your degree. My faith is in Jehovah, the, the Rapha, the God who knows how to heal, the God who knows every cell in my body. Do you know every cell in my body? Doc, can you tell me how many hairs are on my head? No, you can't. God knows exactly how many hairs are on my head. He knit me together in my mother's womb. So why would I choose your degree over the power of my God? Get out of here. God can do anything. My faith is not in you, sir. I'm here out of due diligence because faith without works is dead. That's why I'm sitting across from you, sir. <laughs> Through those five years of infertility, here was the temptation to make trying to have children the place where my faith was. 
I made this pact with the Lord. Oh, I hope this blesses you. That God, me, and you are in a win-win. A win-win. Paul creates a win-win. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a win-win. If I live, cool. If I die, cool. I made a win-win with the Lord. I said, if you give me kids, I'll preach about it till I'm dead. Because it's a miracle. If you never give me kids, I'll be telling people we're about to get pregnant till I die. I'm going to preach faith no matter what. Because I'm in a win-win. The reason that so many of us are disappointed is because you've created a win-loss for yourself. If God does this, then I'll worship. And if he doesn't do this, I'm going on strike. And emotionally, so many of us are already on strike. I ain't praising until he comes through. Well, that means that you see him as working for you instead of you working for him. That means you're a terrible servant. What that means is that your faith is actually not in what he said, it's in the storm that you can see. Wow. I said this to the Lord, hey, hey, my, my faith, ooh, I, 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 need this to, I need this to get your spirit. I'm not gonna be impressed with, with what the enemy is doing against me. I will not be impressed with whatever the enemy hits me with because no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm not impressed. My faith is not in you. My faith is not in what the enemies do. So many of you, every time you go sit down with your sister in Christ, your brother in Christ, all you talk about is the storm. All you talk about is how the enemy's hitting you. All you talk about is the battle. You have so, for you, all you, even when you pray, God is annoyed with how much you've made an idol out of the thing you're struggling with. Every time you pray, all you talk about is the mountain. And God is looking at you saying, instead of telling me about your mountain, how about you tell your mountain about me? Instead of praying about all your problems and nagging me with all your issues, how about you turn around and say to the mountain, the God of the universe be against you and prophesy instead of letting all your faith reside in the storm that you can see with your eyes. Where is your faith? Here's, 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 here we go, here we go. Keys, you can come up and play. Where's the keys? Because everything sounds more spiritual when keys is playing. Is this helping anybody? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Okay, here we go. I'm going I'm to I'm do one more thing, and I'm going to tell you where that faith should have been. Ooh, you're not going to like me. Let's define anxiety. Let's define anxiety. Here we go. Here's anxiety, faith that's been abused, that's anxiety. Because what do you need in order to be anxious? An imagination and creativity. You think you've met a creative person when you met like a fashion designer or a videographer or an editor or a graphic designer? No, nope. you haven't met a creative person until you've met an anxious person. Because an anxious person has created scenarios about tomorrow Next week, next month, next year. Well, if they get elected, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> Here's what an anxious person has done. They've used in their God-given imagination and their God-given creativity, and they've used the thing that God wants to use in their life to bless them, and they've turned it into a curse. 
You can't even be anxious without using your God-given creativity. So many people come up to me after I preach this and they're like, Pastor, you need to pray for me because I'm anxious. And I'm like, stop right there. Stop confessing that. You're not anxious. You're just creative. So now people come up to me and they're like, Pastor, you need to pray for me. I'm creative. And I know exactly what that means. <laughs> Anxiety, come on, get this. I hope this is freeing for you. Anxiety is the proof that you're a creative person. And the very thing that God has given you as a tool to bless you, the enemy wants to kidnap that tool, hijack that tool, and use it against you instead of for you. Because remember, faith is not automatically positive, faith is neutral. Where you put your faith is gonna determine whether or not faith is gonna work for you or against you. If you are anxious, that means you are placing faith in stuff that does not have the power to set you free or bring God's dream or his abundant his abundant goal into your life. Here's what happens when you're anxious. Here's what happens. You use your imagination and your creativity, and your imagination and your creativity uh, turns into a time machine. And you go into the future. And when you go into the future, you get scared and depressed. And the future figment of your imagination that you made up in your mind it's so real, it had the physical manifestation. You start sweating, you get panic attacks, you get anxious. Why? Because you actually believe in your own faith. Someone who's battling with anxiety, guess what? They're delusional. They believe in something that's not real yet. But their imagination made it real because faith works, whether you're a Christian or not. Faith works. Faith always works. Guess what? I was equally delusional. When doctors said we would never have kids, I used my imagination and my creativity. I went on a 40-day fast. We bought a home that was bigger than what we needed and could afford. I bought a home that was too big because I needed a faith room for where I was going to put them kids. I went to Target, bought a crib, a diaper genie, onesies, and a whole bunch of other stuff I didn't know how to use at the time. <laughs> when the doctor said to me, you're never going to have kids, what he didn't know is that I had used my imagination and my creativity, created a time machine for myself, went into the future, and got a God dream. And I saw my sons, and I saw my daughters. So when he's trying to tell me facts, I'm delusional, because faith makes you delusional. I wonder if there's a picture of my family. Is there a picture of my family? My son just turned two. You want to know why my son just turned two? Because doctors were talking to a crazy person. I'm not saying I'm crazy. I'm delusional. If you can be anxious, you can have faith. If you can believe in a future that is negative, that is wired for your doom and destruction, then you can just as easily believe in a God dream. It's the same muscle. I want to speak life to anybody who's struggling with anxiety. Anxiety is an invitation from God for you to actually put your faith in Him instead of the storms that keep arising in your life. It's an invitation. I've been in so many services where people say, oh, we rebuke anxiety. No, 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 we don't rebuke anxiety. 
We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to harness your imagination. See, there's a difference between harnessing and rebuking. Rebuking means I don't need none of this. I, I hate all of this. No, no. Person who's struggling with anxiety and the person with great faith, we're doing the same thing. We're both using our imagination and our creativity to create a time machine, to go into the future, and to see something that is only a figment of our imagination. Only one of us is getting the source of all the stuff triggering in your imagination from the enemy, and one of us is getting something from God. One of us is getting stuff from your flesh, and one of us is getting stuff from heaven. Here we go. Where should their faith have been? Let's wrap this up. Give me verse, chapter 8, verse 22. The Holy Ghost talking to anybody today? Wave at me if the Holy Ghost is talking to you. Holy Ghost talking to anybody today? Come on, you got a whole lot of faith, but where is it? Come on, you got a whole lot of faith. I want to know if anybody, you, you're experiencing a paradigm shift. You know what, Pastor Manny? I thought I didn't have faith. I do have faith. It's just in the wrong place. Who am I preaching to? I want to know who I'm preaching to. I thought anxiety was just a curse, but actually, it can actually be a gift to me. Who's that for? Who's that for? Who's that for? Here we go. Where should their faith have been? Let's do this. Verse, verse 22. Verse 22. Give me chapter 8, verse 22. I'm going to tell you exactly where their faith should have been, which is going to tell us where our faith should be. Chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus. Because faith comes by. And hearing by the word of. So if Jesus is talking, that's where my faith should be. One day, Jesus. One day, Jesus. What did he say? Let us over to the other side of the So they get in the boat. And in the middle of the journey, they hit a storm. And I want to uproot whatever lie of the enemy that taught you that if you obey, you'll never hit storms. The quickest way to attract the attack of the enemy is to obey. Just go ahead, get in your mind. The moment you get in this boat, you're going to get some storms. There's only one relevant question to ask when the storm breaks out. As you look at the storm, totally unimpressed, I'm not giving the storm none of my faith. I'm not giving the storm none of my worship. I'm not impressed. All you got is infertility. That's all you got. <laughs> Here's what I got to ask you, Storm. Are you the other side of the lake? Because God is not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he would change his mind. Isaiah says that as the rain and the snow leave heaven and come to the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. It will not return to me void, but will accomplish the very thing that I sent it to accomplish. If Jesus said, you're getting to the other side of the lake, guess what? No demon in hell can stop you from getting to the other side of the lake. No storm can stop you from getting to the other side side of the lake no obstacle can stop you from getting to the other side of the lake no problem no issue no anxiety there's nothing that can stop you from getting to the other side of the lake
Why is it that Jesus can go to sleep in the middle of my storm? Here's why. Because he's already spoken. He can sleep because his job ended when he spoke a word. It's his word that's going to get you to the other side. It's his word that has already determined your outcome. It's his word that has already determined how this thing is going to end. We know how this ends. I was going through a storm through college. I hadn't been to church in years. I was dating a girl I shouldn't be dating, hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. And I had a black church mama. A take your time preacher black church mama. A help him Holy Ghost black church mama who could just smell sin. <laughs> Made the mistake going home for the weekend to do some laundry. Oh, she smelt sin all over me. She's like, you look like sin. I remember being like, I'm offended. By the way, millennials, instead of saying I'm offended, how about you just say I'm convicted? Because offense is our, whew, is how we masquerade conviction of the Holy Ghost. You're not offended because somebody called out your sin. That's ridiculous. We're Christians. We live in a community where people should call out sin. If there's sin, you call out sin. I'm offended. No, you're wrong. You're in sin. My mom, I'm going through a storm, but her faith is not in the storm. Here's what my mom does. I'm in her living room, and she says, hey, wait right here. She goes out to her bedroom, and she grabs a journal. In the journal, she said, when I was three months pregnant with you, the Holy Spirit told me that you would be a prophet to the nations. When I was five months pregnant with you, God said that if I gave you back to him, oh, that, that he would bless your life, that you'd be a pastor. At, at, at eight months pregnant, God told me that he, that you'd be a lifelong Nazarite set aside as a mouthpiece from God. I already know who you are. I don't care what you've been drinking, what you've been smoking, who you've been dating. I'm not distracted by this storm. Because God spoke a word to me about you before you were even born. When God was forming you in my womb, he spoke. There's so many of us today, God is going to bring back to your memory every word that he spoke. He doesn't need to wake up in the middle of this storm. He's already spoke a word to get you through this storm. Why does Jesus sleep in the middle of my storm? funny, I travel a lot. I travel a whole lot, which means people I don't know are always picking me up from the airport. I don't know their driving record. I have no idea. Just people I don't know just picking me up from the airport. Want to know what I never do in a stranger's car? Never fall asleep. But let me come back home to Dallas. Matt picks me up or Sam picks me up. We won't even leave the terminal and I'm already knocked out. Because I only fall asleep in vessels with people I trust. The reason Jesus can fall asleep in your boat is not because he's left you or forsaken you. The reason he can fall asleep in your boat is because he trusts you. He trusts you to go through this issue. He trusts you to go through this storm. He trusts you to go through the waves and the winds of life and to keep your faith intact. 
Let's land the plane. I want to do two things. Who am I preaching to today? Come on, wave at me. Wave at me. We said we're going to do black church on time. I'm like 10 minutes over, so let's go. Let's land the plane. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to get invited back, so let's land the plane. <laughs> and that's the message. That is the message. Here we go. I want to give two invitations. I took a three-hour course today, and I shrunk it down. I said I was going to do it in 30 minutes. I did it in like 40. But I want to give you the rest of it. In the middle of the pandemic, we started a streaming platform called Arma. We put out a brand new course every single month. Sometimes we do courses on topics like homosexuality, women in ministry. But sometimes we do topics on just books of the Bible. We just straight bring people through books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Genesis, Deuteronomy, my favorite book of the Bible. I'd love to give you an invitation to get signed up for Arma today. I'll never remember, I'll never forget, I was at a church in San Diego, and uh, this big dude, he was actually Suge Knight's bodyguard. If you're Suge Knight's bodyguard, you're big. Suge Knight's big. Came up and grabbed me, almost picked me up. I was like, don't pick up a grown man, bro. I was like, why are you, why are you so excited to see me? He said, because a year ago you were at my church, and you invited people to become Arma subscribers. He said, I made a decision that day to spend $13 a month learning the Bible for myself. He said, I made that decision. I canceled my Netflix subscription and I got an armor subscription. And the last year has been the best year of my life. He said, I have started every morning learning something from God's word from you. Right now I'm in a doctoral program because I believe in bringing seminary level education to the pew. Making seminary level content easy to understand for every single Christian. There's a, plat there's a QR code that we'll throw up. I want to challenge you today. Our platform's 13 bucks a month, but here's the real challenge. Is our courses are like three hours, but we divide them into 12-minute segments. Here's the challenge. I want you to spend 12 minutes with me every day. God convicted me in the middle of the pandemic, said, it's cool if you preach, but if you preach, people will eat that day. If you teach people how to read the Bible for themselves, they'll feed themselves forever. Don't just preach to people and get them excited. Give them a tool to help, you, to help them understand the Bible for themselves. Is that QR code up there? If you sign up for Arma today, you'll get a copy of my book for free in the lobby. Uh, if you don't want to sign up for Arma, you can purchase my book. But if you want to sign up for Arma, you get this book for free. I wrote this book because my dad took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. My mom was pregnant at the age of 12, had my older sister at 13, was pregnant again at 14, had my older brother at 15. All three of my aunts are prostitutes, all of my uncles are alcoholics. I'm the first Orango to own property, the first Orango to get my bachelor's degree, the first Orango to get my master's degree, the first Orango to get my doctorate, the first Orango to be an author. And I wrote this book to help people overcome toxic thought patterns. Your family of origin wants to brainwash you. Culture wants to brainwash you. But God wants to wash your mind with the water of the word and the blood of the lamb. You are not a victim. If there's anybody who has an excuse to be a victim, you are looking at him. His name is Manny Rango. But I do not get to be a victim and identify with a victorious Jesus at the same time. You can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. I'd love to put this book in your hand. If you've ever thought the Bible was intimidating or hard to understand, I challenge you to get an armor subscription. Who's in? You're like, you know what, 13 bucks a month? 
12 minutes a day, I'm in. Like, I'd love to do that. I'd love to learn the Bible for myself. I'd love to become biblically literate. I'll be in the lobby. I'm an extrovert. I love high-fiving people, hugging people. If you want to copy your brainwashed, I'll sign your book, and I'd love to pray for you. Next thing is way more important than ARMA or brainwashed. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, here's a question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? If you're not a Christian, then faith will always work against you. Maybe you've tried to put your faith in so many things. You've tried to put your faith, you try to build your identity on your career and relationships. That stuff will always fail you. If you don't identify as a Christian today, we want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. You can never, you can never pay the penalty of sinning against God on your own. But Jesus sent his son so that you didn't have to pay that, you will never have to pay that price. If you're in the room today, maybe you're full of guilt, full of shame, we declare shame off you. The moment you accept Jesus into your life, he wipes your slate clean. It's like a restart. It'll be the first day of the rest of your life. If you're in the room today, you're not a Christian, but you wanna be. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, lift up your hand, just wave at me. If you wanna receive the, I see your hand. I see your hand. You're not a Christian, but you wanna be. Just wave at me. Leave your hand, put your hand up high enough and long enough for me to see it. High enough and long enough for me to see it. I see that hand, I see your hand. You're not a Christian, but you wanna be. Just wave at me, just wave at me. I wanna know who I'm praying for. I see your hand. Let's say this prayer all together, all over the room. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. I confess that you're Lord and I give you my life. I confess that today is the first day of the rest of my life. I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Oh, come on. Amen. 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 If your hand went up, oh, we declare that your worst days are behind you and your best days are ahead of you. We declare that faith is no longer going to work against you, but work for you. Come on, let's stand up all over the building. You've been struggling with anxiety? Just wave at me. Just wave at me. Just wave at me. God, we declare over everyone who the enemy has tried to hijack their imagination, we prophesy to them right now, your imagination belongs to God. Your creativity belongs to God. Your mind belongs to God. We declare right now by the power of the blood of Jesus, your imagination doesn't belong to darkness or the enemy or to what the enemy wants to do in your life. Your faith is no longer in the storm. Your faith is in what God has spoken over your life. We speak identity and purpose and destiny and dreams over your life. God, we thank you by the power of the blood of Jesus that everyone's mind is going to work for them, not against them. God, we declare 
a double portion of faith for your people. God, we declare right now, Uncommon Church is about to walk into its best season. We declare that this is the most fruitful church in the DFW area. God, we love you and we worship you. Come on, can you give God a shout of praise? All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for you. So I'd like our prayer team to come down to the front. If you were one of those that raised your hand, maybe it was the first time or the first time in a long time you got right with God today, we want to pray for you. We want you to screw in a light bulb on our Jesus wall. All of those light bulbs are people just like you that prayed that prayer, that surrendered their life to Jesus. And we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you on your walk with God. If you're watching on YouTube and, and at home, watch it on a screen, man, between you and the Lord, you got right with God. I want you to text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. That's only going to send you an auto-response form. Please fill out that form because we want to begin to pray for you. We want to begin to encourage you. We want to screw in a light bulb with your initials on the Jesus wall. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.